on the tee, Jack Nicklaus. This is the minute the millions around the world have waited for. We will allow you to enjoy all of this. They are dancing in the pubs of Dublin. Harrington with an ace. And we have a shining star at sunset. Rory continues his run to greatness. The return to glory. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Bogeyman podcast. Thank you again for joining. We are delighted to have Sky Sports Kit Alexander with us all the way from the UK. And we're going to go through a little bit on RBC Heritage and what happened over the weekend. So we're two weeks into the PGA Tour. So, Kit, welcome. Thanks for having me. And thank you for your patience with my completely technophobic illiteracy of Zoom and how to get on here and make the audio work so I could hear you. It's great to have golf to talk about. I'm glad it just wasn't me this time. It's always <laughs> me when this happens, to be honest. So, yeah. So, you're, uh, we just spoke a little bit before. You put in the higher yards over the weekend and watched it from, uh, from, uh, from all the way through. Yeah, I stayed up late to watch it. And it was worth it, to be fair. Um, when they resumed, I actually didn't think they'd even get near to finishing it. Um, but, obviously, they ran round when PGA Tour players don't want to be there getting up at seven to, to restart the next morning when they've got a charter flight to catch to Connecticut, they can all play quickly when they want to. And well, because, I mean, the birdies were flying in all over the place. It was an incredible finish. Well worth staying up for. And so, like, I, I thought that Hilton Head looked, looked great. Um, but I know a lot of broadcasters and even commentators after the fact were saying that it's playing, it was playing a lot easier than it would ordinarily in, your, in April or so. Like how, how easy, like what, what was the scoring last year at Hilton Head, you know, compared to this? Because I think the record before this week was like 20 under. So is that kind of the region? Brian Gay had 20 under. I mean, it's normally sort of mid-teens that wins it, mid to low teens. Because it is a tricky track. Like if you get a bit of wind blowing there, especially overhanging branches, uh, the peat, it's a peat die design, so plenty of bulkheads as they call them, or railway sleepers. Uh, it's not as easy as they made it look. They just kind of got a bit fortunate with the weather. And sometimes that just happens. I know that everyone likes to have a go when a course goes really deep and it gets to sort of be on 20 under par. Oh, it's too easy. But, you know, these are the best golfers on the planet. If you put them on a car park, they'll find a way to get the ball in the hole. So if you put them on a nice golf course, and if Mother Nature just decides to lay down, which after a storm comes through, it softens up the greens a little bit, they were still rolling pure, they were receptive, and there's no wind. 70-odd world-class golfers are going to find a way to tear it apart, and they did. And I actually think it made for really exciting viewing. I think there's always a debate on whether, as observers, we want to see loads of birdies, or you want to see what some people might call a true test of golf, where it's a bit tougher and maybe six or eight under par is winning. There's a greater premium on pars. But just in the situation we are at the moment where golf is one of the first sports back after this unbelievable situation we've been in with the pandemic, where there might be new people watching it and an opportunity to get people in. Actually, the fact that it's an absolute birdie fest and there are eagles and putts flying in all over the place and it's exciting right down to the last shot. Isn't that what we want to showcase this great game to people who might not ordinarily tune in? Um, so I think Hilton Head's a really, really good golf course. 
it's one of the ones when I see it on the PGA Tour, I think, actually, I would love to go and play that. It's in my top three in America where I'd want to go. And frankly, I don't really care what they score on it. You know, it played easy, but it did. That's what nature does sometimes. They, it, it, I suppose friendly goes down as when the tour pros are asked where they like to go. It's always in the top five of everyone's book. Have you been there? Have you seen it in person? Or what is it that's so special? It seems to be this, um, the narrowness of it. It doesn't favor kind of guys who just slash it everywhere um, because they really do get punished. Um, bit of a Valderrama kind of a feeling that way. And it doesn't let you go all over the place. Valderrama is a great analogy. It is the old school kind of course that you would have got tour players playing on week in week out in the 60s 70s and 80s before distance was such an issue you had to shape the ball you had to be more strategic it wasn't just bomb and gouge and I think people appreciate that and the tour pros as well a lot of them really know the game and really know the history and appreciate what is good golf course design and when it does really test every facet of their game and I think Hilton Head does that obviously it's been said it's not a bomber's golf course but Power is never a disadvantage, let's be honest. Like, you might not be able to hit driver on every hole, but if you're, for instance, hitting hybrid or long iron into where someone else is hitting a three-wood, that's still an advantage for you. If you can hit a wedge into a green where someone else is hitting an eight iron, that's still an advantage. You know, Davis Love has won there five times. He was the longest player on tour in his day, and we saw long hitters doing well again last night with Brooks Koepka. Um, um, you just need to fit in DeChambeau up there as well. It just, it's more, who I think we might talk about later. I think it's a different kind of test because it makes them think. You stand on a tee and you don't just automatically reach for driver. And I think actually golfers appreciate that. Probably not every week. They like to be able to get up there and smash it as hard as they can a lot of the time on the PGA Tour and the European Tour. But every so often, it's nice to have an experience which I think probably takes them back to when they were juniors and learning the game and having to shape shots and seeing putting a score together perhaps in a slightly different way than they do most weeks of the year. Yeah, because I, I was chatting to, to Dylan Fratelli, uh, I think at the start of the week, I think it was like Monday or Tuesday. Um, That's such a name drop, Johnny. Just about coming on. <laughs> well, such it, a name it's, drop. It's interesting because... It's <laughs> what a, tips did you give him for that sentence? I say, um, he was saying that, so he's obviously, I, I asked him about coming on the pod and he said he's playing the next five weeks straight. So on like Thursday morning, selfishly, I was like, maybe if he doesn't make the cut, <laughs> he'll be free to come on. And then like, he's one shot behind the leader after after, <laughs> after round one. But um, but the group that he was in there with was himself, Webb, Pulse was in there, uh, Matt Fitzpatrick was all in there. And they are all, you kind of, more thinking type of golfers not massive hitters like they all can send it very far for sure but they're not like your your brooks or your or your brysons um which for me it kind of you know just hammered home the fact to me that was like a, a thinking players course and even when i was watching it i was like oh my god that place looks narrow i think it's a fair test i think that's and a bit i would say tpc sawgrass is in a similar vein even though it's a bit longer when you look at the history of the winners there and people that have done well, there's no obvious advantage to one style of golfer over another. You can be a short game exponent, you can be a big hitter, you can be a bit of an all-rounder. If you have a good week, 
you will do well there. It doesn't immediately discount anyone. I remember Graham McDowell said a few times now that probably he goes to maybe six or eight events these days, thinking he has a realistic chance to win, just looking at the distance, the length of the course. Whereas I think everyone turns up to somewhere like a Hilton Head or a TPC Sawgrass and thinks, if I've got the skill set to be in this field, if I play well and play to my potential, then I'm not discount. I have a chance. It doesn't, and I think there needs to be more of that on tour, frankly, because distance is an advantage, and you should be rewarded for it. But you shouldn't be rewarded for that more than you're rewarded for being a brilliant wedge player or a great putter or a superb ball striker with the irons. I think the key to a good test of golf and a good tournament value venue is that it it tests all of these areas relatively equally. I was I was actually surprised. I remember we were talking just there a couple of minutes ago about the scoring being so low. I was actually surprised that this early and at such a tricky course and where you're thinking, guys, I didn't think guys were going to be as sharp as that to see mm. such a concentrated bunch at like Rory down in like 30th place at 11 under. Like mm. to see them as sharp as that this early, they're only two weeks back, probably four yeah. weeks back playing. Like, did you, did that surprise you or has that surprised you since they've been back? Because we've I think seen it a lot surprised me. It surprised me last week because it was the first event back. Having seen how sharp they were last week, you kind of expected that to carry through. But definitely, if you look at these first two weeks of a body of work, the, the standard, pretty much everyone has shown, the scoring has been incredible. I think that's testament to how good they really are, that their base level is always going to shoot under par at tournament golf courses. Um, and they never really get too far away from that. Also, a lot of them living in, in the States where they do Florida, Arizona, even those maybe live Bahamas, that kind of thing with Rosie. They're sort of, they weren't stringently told not really to go on golf courses. They could keep things ticking over for the most part through the lockdown in the areas of the world where they chose to choose to live and chose to base themselves at that time. Um, so that definitely helped. Um, but they're just everyone's so good these days and you look at someone like wacky neiman who's sort of come onto the scene and it's just everyone's ready to win the strength in depth if you do have a couple of big names that maybe aren't quite so sharp and don't quite get it done then a daniel berger or a wacky neiman or an abraham answer is right there ready to have a stunning week and you go well actually wow that maybe they're the next big thing and they deserve to be at the top table as well so I think there's always the next person ready to step up if anyone does slip off a little bit and they're just so good that they're slipping off a little bit isn't ever that far from what it takes to contend. How good is, is Daniel Berger? Because obviously like, he had that wrist injury and he won there last week and he was, he was close enough to, to doing two in a row. Um, he was kind of that kind of the, the same graduate class or similar enough year to Justin Thomas and stuff, wasn't he? Or was he a couple yeah. years older? So uh, the same. They were that graduating class. Yeah, Spieth, Thomas, him, and a few other guys. Yeah. So, like, what what was he doing before the the wrist injury? In terms of like, what were, what were his results? Do you know anything about him? I mean, he's been pretty solid. He was rookie of the year in his first season on the PGA Tour. I think we're four years ago now, perhaps maybe five. So. He came onto the team pretty strong. I would say he's like a B-plus player, if you see what I mean. If you got like your Jordan when he came on was an A-plus, Justin, A, two A-plus after a few. He was just that next sort of level below. And it's only the fact that he's had these other guys that were from his college class or even now guys since like Ram coming onto the scene 
who have kind of slightly surpassed him that he just gets overshadowed a bit. But, um, you know, he's won three times, maybe four times, I think, now on tour um, at the age of mid-20s. Um, he's the real deal, which is incredible when you look at his position at the top of the backswing, which, oh frankly, I still find just unnerving to look at. But It's actually terrible. To, I mean, it's terrible. yeah, it's all... It's my worst nightmare because I used to do like a horrible similar thing and that made me bad or more. Whereas he manages to make it work. And now I think maybe if I'd have pers persevered with that, that was the secret. But no, he is very good. Whether he's major winning good in the future, you know, who knows? He might pick up one or two, but he's probably going to win six, eight, 10, 12 times on the PGA Tour. We were talking just before about that actual that whole issue of there's guys there that are going to have all rounds in the mid sixties, one in the low sixties, and we we're talking actually in the context of Rory, in how he just struggled to put four good rounds together. Now is it's it's is it's is it a thing? Because in he 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 seems to have the ability to go really low. He, we know he does, but he also has the ability to shoot a mid seventies. I mean, it's a thing in as much as it is a thing because we're talking about it. I, I feel a bit sorry for Rory. The, the magnifying glass is on him so much that it's down to one bad shot and that's a thing with him. It's like, so unless he wins, he can't win because he's that good and everyone ex expects it. Now, you can't deny if you look at the stats, he struggled in final rounds in comparison to other rounds and where we all think, and he indeed himself thinks he should be over the last probably two or three years. And we've kind of seen that a little bit in the couple of tournaments since he's come back. Whether he's going to be worried about that, I, I wouldn't have thought so. He's getting himself into position. He's playing really well. Um, let's be honest, I don't think Hilton Head is really his cup of tea. And he probably wouldn't have been playing there if it wasn't for the lockdown and the fact that they've missed so much golf and they're having to come out of the back of it now. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't be worried. I think he's going to be a threat at every major this year, quite frankly. Um, we, we just like to see him win every week. Yeah, we, that's that's the thing. Like it's it's not it's not for a want to criticise him either. It's like yeah. I would rather Rory win than not. I'd want, I want to win every match. Seriously, exactly. Well, he's so popular. People like yeah. him. He's such a likable character, and everyone knows that. You know, it's the great debate. If everyone has their A game, who is the best? He's winning. You know, and I think probably eight out of ten people would say him is the best guy. Obviously, Tiger's slightly now, notwithstanding, we don't know where he is, but of this current crop post-Tiger, if you like. And he suffers with that expectation. And it, it's difficult because you're not going to win every week because there's a lot of really good golfers on the PJ Tour and the European Tour. Um, I think he almost deals with that better than the public and the media looking in we're on it we dissect everything he does the moment it looks like something's going wrong we all zero in on it and i think he takes a bit more of a holistic overview of it and knows where he is in the game and knows that his best is good enough to win and trusts himself to do that when the opportunities arise and do it more often than not so he doesn't necessarily question those odd rounds where it doesn't work. Well, he was saying that was it like almost two years ago when he was like you know he was 
finishing just outside top 10, top 20s, and he was getting a lot of slack. He's like, I'm actually only like one or two shots away here. Um, and then he went, went on and, and, and won. Um, I feel like he's almost at that stage again now where as quickly as everyone came out of the blocks, yeah. he, you know, he almost kind of stalled momentarily. But I think well, he, he hasn't played the Heritage since 2009 and he said he hated it. So yeah. this was never going to be an event. Like, it's, not, it's not a week he's fancying. He's playing because he needs to play tournaments. Like, I, yeah, I, I think he's always going to be dangerous. I just think we read often too much into it um, just because he's Rory McIlroy and he was the face of golf post-Tiger. And no matter who else comes along, he, he is that. Do you think maybe he, he misses the fans, misses the the added competitive edge that they offer. Like there's some people like that thrive off the, the added tension that the fans. Yeah. And without that, maybe he's a bit like it's a Friday round with mates or whatever. I think there is possibly something in that as much as there actually is in the, his competitors or some of them at least are probably benefiting from their not being fans there. Uh, you know, you, we always know there's guys you know as that are closers or those that maybe struggle a little bit with the spotlight or they've got the game, everyone knows it. We see them shooting scores in practice rounds and working their way up to the PGA Tour. And then when it gets to the bright lights and the big occasion, it maybe just isn't there. And perhaps there are a few of these guys who are managing to, to do what their potential and what they would do in a practice round with their mates or at their home club because it doesn't feel like there's the pressure because the fans aren't there on top of them. So it's probably a little bit of meeting in the middle in some instances where you've got Rory, perhaps who thrives on something like that, just dropping one or two percent. And maybe a couple of guys who might not ordinarily be as comfortable on the back nine on Sunday in front of 40,000 fans at a PGA Tour event going for a trophy, who without that little element of added pressure of the fans there, they find an extra one or two percent. And so that's, like, yeah. those margins are all it is at that level. So like Daniel Berger, who would probably be more used to not having people follow, with all due respect to Daniel Berger, it might just be a little bit more normal for him than Rory, which is 10 deep in the gallery. Yeah, I think perhaps yeah. that could be playing into it, certainly. And I think you look at how these past two tournaments have finished. OK, Hilton Head was playing easy, but a lot of birdies went in on that back nine. And often you see guys, even when the course is playing easy, they might make the birdies early, but then they tense up a little bit and they maybe dry up on the back nine or they just do enough to get over. Or someone falls away. No one really fell away. No one made mistakes. Everyone kept going forwards for the most part. And that there might be an element that there isn't the tension or the pressure there without the fans. Yeah, like it still needed a 64 from Webb Simpson to, to win. He, he won by two, so 65 would have done it. But that's still like... That's still a really good shooting that that was required. So if everyone's making birdies, you just got to keep making making more yeah, of them. And exactly, like and funnily enough, Webb Simpson's had more rounds of sixty five and under in the last like eighteen months on the PGA Tour than any other golfer. Yeah, you know, a guy that most people think of as kind of a bit of a plodder, albeit a very good putter. But you know, if you were thinking, who are the guys that really go low? You know, it's Brooks, it's Rory, it's John Rahm, it's Justin Thomas, it's big hitters. The guys that have like the kind of fanfare, Webb Simpson goes low a lot, and that is interesting in and of itself. I think. Do you think that's interesting? Like, I find you watch him and you're like, okay, he's a good player, 
but he he would be the equivalent of like a mid handicap player that you'd see at your club who'd always just be middle of the fairway, middle of the green. And there's nothing remarkable about that. So when you watch it on TV, you're like, I can see that down the club. Yeah. So there isn't, the, there isn't the attraction that you get with like yeah. Brooks or the likes of them who are bomb the ball miles. But then at the same time, like a win's a win. That's, I think that's the thing about Webb Simpson. You look at Brooks Koepka, DJ, all these guys, Rory, they play a different game. You're like, that is what they do. I cannot do. I can't. I never will be able to do. With Webb Simpson, you look at him and he hits shots you feel like you could hit. He just hits them really, really, really well pretty much every time. He's like, if you imagine what your ceiling of potential realistically is as a normal human being, you could get to a point, maybe, or it's realistic. You can see the shots that he's hitting and go, well, okay, I could kind of do that. Or it's, it's not, doesn't seem like a different game in the same way that what the other real elite guys do. And I think it almost makes it more commendable, the fact that he's got to world number five now and has won seven PGA Tour titles and a US Open, that he doesn't have this X factor, if you like, this magical thing that automatically places him above all mere mortals. He seems to just be a really, really good normal golfer, if you get what I mean. Yeah. Whereas he really should just be like the everyman's idol because he, yeah. plays, he plays the game of golf that you play in your head before exactly. you hit the ball. <laughs> we, we should all want to be Webb Simpson, not Rory or DJ, with the greatest respect because that's the way we are going to play the game. We're not going to hit it. 340, well, you might, but well, I'm John not going yeah. to hit a 340 <laughs> not, not and then hit a wedge into six feet from 180. What I might be able to do is squeeze a little draw out there, 290 if I get a good bounce, maybe <laughs> maybe less. Might, might be over downhill off a cart path, but we can, do, we can hit the shots he kind of hits. You can see it. We've all done it. Even high handicappers, you'll hit that one amazing shot. And that might be a shot that Webb Simpson hits, but it would still never be a shot that Rory or DJ or Brooks hits. There's one person that maybe last year we could hit his shot, and this year we cannot hit his shot anymore, and that's all muscles himself, Brooks. And like, it's so funny listening to him. And now you see DeChambeau haven't gone down that way as well. It's just ridiculous. The, the size difference like how Bryson has got so big I can't can't believe it like in that, in that space of time like what have you made of him I actually quite like him I know he's a bit marmite um there are elements of what he does and how he goes about things that I don't like the pace of play could be better but you've got to respect a man that has gone do you know what I've I've got an idea for how I'm going to make myself better I'm going to absolutely dedicate myself to that at the expense of everything else and I'm going to follow through on it and make it work in quite a short space of time normally a swing rebuild or a body rebuild there's a little bit of lag where the swing has to catch up or it has to be recalibrated or it doesn't quite work you know it took Nick Faldo two years to rebuild his swing and find any sort of form afterwards DeChambeau's done it in six months and he's not lost his game he's not skipped to beat if anything he has immediately improved you can't argue with the statistics. He is a better golfer now than he was before bulking up. You can argue whether or not he should be rewarded 
for being bulky and hitting it extra as much as he has been. But that is the reality of the professional game these days. The rewards are there for distance. He's seen that, he's done it, and he's achieving it without missing a beat. And then you go to somewhere like Hilton Head where everyone said, yeah, that game doesn't wash around there. And he played really well again because he isn't just a bomb and gouger. He's actually a very, very smart golf IQ guy. And now he's added that power. I mean, that's a dangerous beast and you've got to respect him for doing that. And I think he is, I genuinely think he's the real deal. If he can find a way to putt, I mean, it's the same with a lot of guys, I guess. There's always one element of the game and it's all trade-offs. But if Shambo even doesn't have to putt well, he just has to putt average in comparison to a field, he'll win majors. Because he's doing the same thing that, that, that Tiger was doing when he first came on the, on the scene. Tiger was stronger, more athletic than everyone else. So he's hitting the ball further. Jack was doing the same thing when he kind of burst onto the scene as well. It's just a different style of it. My, my only concern is, I mean, okay, if, if Bryson's plan is make like 50, 60 million dollars in the next two or three years and then just like cash it in and get out of there, great plan. But if he wants to be playing until like his 40s, he's, he's going to slip a disc or he's going to do something because he can't put on that much pure muscle in this shorter period. So there's, there's weight there as well as just strength. Great. So. I'd, I'd argue, though, with the way most modern golfers swing the club, I don't think we're going to see many guys who stay right at the elite into their 40s and beyond. You know, guys are coming out ready to win in their early 20s. They're hitting the ground running. 20 years ago, yeah, you built a career. Now, I think over 40 is, is going to become increasingly a bit of a no man's land. We're seeing it already now. Guys who are sort of 45 to 50, they're just twiddling their thumbs until they get on the seniors tour because they know they can't really compete apart from the odd one or two. Look at the world rankings. How many guys are there over the age of 43, 44 in the top 50, top 100 in the world? It's not many. So I think that's kind of already the case that actually once you get beyond 40 you, you've got you either the next generation are going to have surpassed you and your body's going to start breaking down a little bit anyway so why not chuck everything at trying to do something in the next five or ten years because once you get 40 who knows anyway i i was surprised as well <clears throat> you mentioned this that you were surprised that it took you took such a short period of time because i remember listening to robbie cannon who is the physical trainer for shane larry and he said when shane loses weight his swing goes to pot because his balance is off. His weight distribution is obviously off. Like he is so, Bryson is so top heavy now. Like his shoulders, like his torso, his chest is rugby player-ish. Like it's massive. I wasn't expecting him to be, I, I thought it, the driving, yeah, he's going to hit a 360, but he's going to be all over the show after that. And he really isn't at all. Like bar like a couple of blips here and there, where he hits a wedge 170 last week. Like from now, that's probably the, the flip side of it. But, He's gonna like top three, top eight. I, I like he's gonna win very, very quickly now. And like then, what kind of you mentioned majors? Where would you see him winning a major? Yeah, I mean that's an interesting one. I th the bottom line is, if you get if you're one of these elite guys, you you can win a major anywhere. You know, yeah, some golf courses suit you more than others, but um, I think his game is actually reasonably well suited to Augusta because of the distance and that has over the past 
one or two decades, distance has been at more and more of a premium in Augusta. Of course, you've got to have a bit of a short game as well. Um, but if you're long and you leave yourself enough chances on the par fives, which he inevitably will, I mean, it'll be fascinating to see how he does there um, later this year. Um, but I think, to be honest, he, he can win anywhere. And I, what he's going to be interested now is how other players react to it. So he's moved the bar, if you like. Okay, he's not come out and won a load of majors, but in terms of physically and looking at the numbers of how far he's hitting it, he's moved a bar. Now, other players are going to look at that and going to have to decide whether they go with him or they trust in their own route or they think he's just an absolute madman and it isn't sustainable. And I think a lot will depend on what we see because, like you alluded to when Tiger came out, he was the longest on tour. Every time there's kind of a generational shift, distance is a big part of that and someone has to be first and then suddenly that breaks a barrier and other people realise that what they're doing is achievable. I think, Bryson, we've seen that next step up. If no one else goes with him, then he's going to win a lot. I think people will go with him. There will be some people that go down the same route and there are already people that are long enough to, you know, it's not like he's knocking it 40 past everyone. Mm. You know, he's up there and he's the longest on tour now. But, you know, he's, what, five, ten yards ahead of Rory and DJ and Brooks and stuff. So they're there. But I think this is a bit of a, a moment, if you like, in terms of distance on the PGA Tour. And we could see a bit of a shift in attitudes and players are going to go one path or the other. Yeah, because you've got now, Rory's come back re- lighter than ever. He's down to 155. Um, Gary Woodland's gone the same way. He's like lost a ton of weight. Now, I thought like that was, Gary Woodland's is quite extreme, actually. He, he yeah. looks very, very... He looks yeah. really slim. Like, yeah. Really, really slim. Like, weirdly slim, actually. Yeah, yeah. like noodly kind of arms and yeah. almost like Polteresque in shape, actually. Like that's not a slight, but it's just... No, he's it got that sort of little bit sort of barrel-chested kind yeah. of... Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas Rory just looks like he could be a professional in any sport he lays his hands on. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. I don't know. I, like, it'll be Johnny. Your point is massive. Like, as to if the musculoskeletal system holds up, that's my worry because you see the movement in his left knee. Like his left, how is yeah. it? If he gets stuck on his left side, oh, yeah. well, then the foot just has to fly out it with it to, to, to handle that. If it doesn't, yeah, there's something's going wrong in that. Yeah, that's gonna be awful like because it won't be uh, it, that would or sorry it won't be like like a slow uh, like injury process that would be yeah, something yeah. that will go very very fast look i hope he i hope it works out because he's turning himself into a bit of a golf machine and he's finding yeah, yeah. i don't know because i, 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 I like think that he does it differently yeah so do i but i think my, my thing is it's purely from a health point of view if you yeah. if you use the tiger example look at tiger now he's like how, how many back surgeries his knees are in pieces as well like as a human being, you must look at that and go, oh, I don't know if I want to, like, I'd love to be able to pick my kids up when I'm 45. Yeah, yeah. And, like, there was a, there was a point where Tiger was saying he couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Bryson would pick up 20 kids when he's 45. <laughs> <laughs> the Shamba, he's so, that's part of it, though. He's so single-minded. And when he decides, I'm going to go down this path, he does it with such rigour and commitment that it is at the expense of everything else. He's not even thinking about those long-term things. Yeah. I mean, even in the short term, like what was he? He's taking on like five, six thousand calories a day to do it, drinking like five or six protein shakes a day. 
can you even maintain like can you maintain that as a human taking in the amount of calories he needs to to keep that bulk when it isn't necessarily naturally your body shape and and what you are will it just drop off a little bit how much does he need to maintain to keep the distance it, it's a very interesting science project if you like moving forward he must but have to work out a lot like aside from the round of golf if he's taking on five or six thousand calories as well as playing around a golf where he's gonna be losing calories he must have to be like do a gym session in the morning which i'm sure he does anyway yeah. but then he had to do another strength strength session in the evening after round. and like i don't think there's a lot of downtime for him he's either eating exercising or playing golf the whole time i think which... and that must be tough because you're traveling so much and so like with that kind of a routine like you you were very reliant upon being in a routine so eating at the right times training at the right times and like if he has to get on a plane first thing in the morning on monday and then has to rest or recover yeah. that could just throw like surely that I, I don't know i'm not i'm not a nutritionist or or an expert in any in any way but surely that must throw everything out of whack yeah it's tough to manage and a lot of players go through that just generally with the travel and you know, whether it's they struggle with the weight in a different way because they're on the road the whole time and eating at stupid o'clock and, and whatever, or it is making sure you have your gym routine to stay in shape. But, you know, on the t he, he's got everything he needs to do that. He fly, Obviously, the charter flights at the moment, but normally he'll fly privately. Um, there's the physio trucks, gyms, wherever he goes. If he wants to do it, I think he'll do it and maintain it. And he does, so... Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see where this takes us. How did you like the heritage as a as a as an event or as a t as TV spectacle? Do you miss the fans? Do you know why? It sounds a bit bad. I don't really miss the fans. And I actually, there was a moment right near the end when I think I think it was Webb Simpson playing into maybe the the sixteenth um, somewhere around that. It was right in the and a fan shouted like "Happy Father's Day" just after he hit it. And okay, it's a nice message, you know, it's not shouting mashed potato. But then you kind of went, oh God, it's been lovely not hearing someone shout something stupid once when someone's hit a shot, no get in the holes or, I just don't think it needs it. I know we're all now what, starting to watch football coming back without fans and, you know, that, that is a, a little bit different. You do feel it's more needed in football in golf. I'm honestly not that bothered by it. And we've got obviously the whole Ryder Cup thing going on at the moment. Should that go ahead? Shouldn't it without fans? It's looking like next week it's going to be made official that it, it's being postponed to 2021. Um, and I get the decision completely, but I wouldn't have been that bothered if it had been played without fans, in, in all honesty. I, I just don't think golf needs fans. If they're there, great. But does it need them there on the ground to create an atmosphere, to to make it a spectacle. I, I, don't, I don't, honestly don't think that it does. That might be an unpopular opinion, admittedly, but I'm fine without that. Yeah, I think, like, yeah. I, I think it, it's an interesting comparison to football because obviously I think we play a lot more golf than your average football fan would play football. So we're very used to there not being fans in the golf course. I mean, like, I don't know about you, but I don't have, like, I don't have any fans coming out. My girlfriend actively tries to not watch me play golf. Um, so I think when it comes to watching it, you're sort of like, yeah, there's no fans because they're on the golf course. I think the, um, as long as it gives us like Faldo versus Brooks Kepka <laughs> sniping at each other over, over, over TV, that, that was actually, in, that was brilliant. 
Brooks, I mean, I is, Brooks is a master of saying nothing. Yeah, I mean, I spoke to Justin Rose about this exact point like a few weeks ago for his, his column that I, I guess right. And he was, he was the first high-profile player to actually come out and say, I'm fine with it. If it goes ahead with no fans, we'll be there. And I'm fine with that. He said, I'd rather it happen than it not. And one of the points he made was, if you're stood on the first tee and you're looking across the other side and you're staring Tiger Woods or Brooks Koepka or Dustin Johnson in the eye, you're not going to want to win that and beat that guy any less because there isn't a load of people in the grandstand behind you. We, I love the atmosphere of the Ryder Cup. I've been to three of them. It's unlike anything else because it is like a football atmosphere. But that's why it's a bit different. Most golf tournaments aren't like that because you're not cheering for one person or one team, whereas you are at the Ryder Cup. But Justin was saying, as a competitor, it doesn't matter. You want to beat that bloke as much as anything because you're not doing it for really the, the 40,000 people watching it there or even the millions watching it at home on TV. You're doing it for yourself. You're doing it for your 11 teammates, for your captain. That's why you want to win. That's not going to ever be diminished by how big the, spec how big the crowds are on the course at, at that given day or tournament. Um, so well, I, think I would have been perfectly happy if the Ryder Cup had gone ahead without fans. And I'm actually quite enjoying not having people shouting stupid stuff at PGA Tour events, to be honest. Do you think the fact that Nick Watney getting diagnosed as being COVID-19 positive will push out fans coming back? Because also they were saying the first four events definitely won't have fans. Yeah, yeah. I think like if every two weeks, every two weeks you have one player out of 150, 160 players getting tested positive and then they're out for the next two weeks, you know, pretty soon you're going to have like you're eventually going to have like a Brooks or a Rory or, or someone who like they're in that proximity. Like one of them is eventually yeah. get it just mathematically that has to happen. Well, that's the re the interesting thing about this for me is where is that cutoff point when that is one positive test too many and it, the plug gets pulled and they have to go into lockdown again or stop playing tournaments. Obviously one isn't enough because they I carried on. Um, I think, it, de I think it depends who the one is, to be, like, to well, be again, totally exactly. cynical. Yeah, well, you're right, though. I mean, it is cynical, but it's, I think you're absolutely right. It depends who the one is and what situation they're in at the time. If Rory McIlroy tests positive and he's got a five-shot lead going into a final round, that's maybe a slightly different conversation. To And obviously the, the reporting around it is going to be different than Nick Watney, with the greatest respect, testing positive when he's not really in contention. Yeah, really harshly. I mean, someone, someone tweeted out really harshly, God, it's such a great reminder that Nick Watney is still playing professional golf. I, like, I, I saw that, and it did bring... I had a little chuckle. I mean, you know, his bank balance is, is bigger than mine will ever be, so it's, he'll have the last laugh, ultimately. But yeah, but I think it opens a massive can of worms because obviously they've tested the 11 people that he did come into direct contact with. Um, didn't test Rory, weirdly, when Rory had said he'd had a conversation with him on the putting green. All 11 of those have come back negative. But there is a period where you can test negative once you've got it. it there's a gestation period before it, it fully takes hold and can show up in a test. Also, I think about 20% of tests, you can get false negatives anyway. It's really hard to believe that if Nick Watney had coronavirus, which he did, and he was at Hilton Head for that week, right up until Friday, it's very hard to think that no one else has now got coronavirus, I think, personally. 
Now, whether that emerges in the next few weeks and whether it's a player or it's something that's perhaps easier to dismiss if it's maybe a caddy or a volunteer or an official, a referee that can be kind of slid under the carpet a little bit. I, I think it's a really difficult situation now because I find it hard to believe no one else has got coronavirus if Watney had it. There are probably going to be some tests that come up positive now in the next few days and weeks. And at what point is that cut off when they go, oh, actually, this is getting out of hand. We need to control this now. Because I think they'll push it as far as they can, which probably is not a good thing from a health perspective for anyone involved. And you look at how the PGA Tour initially handled it. The press release about Nick Watney initially testing positive didn't mention anything about him going to the course on the Friday. They tried to almost play it as if he hadn't. You know, they've got a guy being tested for coronavirus. They've allowed him to go to the course, hang around on the putting green, talk to other people. And then there's almost been this sense of there was a little element of trying to deflect any that essentially and, and say that they, they were more diligent than they were. I think it's really dangerous because the PJ Tour is sending out messages from how they're handling it already that they kind of just want to crack on with things, brush it aside. And, I, and there's going to come a point where they definitely cannot brush it aside. And where that point is, is, and if we get there, it's going to be really, really telling. Yeah, I found their press release, their statements more confusing. I don't know whether Nick Watney was either not diagnosed on Friday with COVID or didn't turn up to the course on Friday. Their statement was so murky. You're like, yeah, yeah. what happened here? Yeah. Which, which creates more confusion. And with more confusion comes more panic. Yeah. But it all the, the whole thing over there just seems so relaxed. Like Justin Thomas had a good uh, proper cut. Now that now I think that's more at a like I don't know a state level or something that he's saying that the the beaches were open and yeah. people were chilling and relaxing together. But what happens when if they do decide to let people in? Like he, they, the players clearly are fine with each other being around. But I don't know are they going to think the same thing if that say if Hilton Head was open today, how many of them would have showed up? to play i'd say they'd all have had a good think about it yeah i mean we've got obviously these first few events behind closed doors now with the announcement that the pga is going to be behind closed doors at harding park as well the only event actually in the first couple of months of the restart that is currently letting fans in is the memorial which seems really really strange that you just have this one island this one little event in the middle of a big run at the start where no fans are allowed. I think we might, there might have to be a decision made on that. Because if you, now we're looking at fans are coming back in, what's the memorial, like two or three weeks away? It's not too far away. Um, you know, that's very much on the horizon. If you got rid of the memorial, then the next date you're looking at for where fans might be in, we're looking at more sort of six to eight weeks down the line. That perhaps feels more comfortable to me. It's the memorial now that has said they're going to try and get limited numbers admittedly but still quite a lot of fans in that that feels a little bit tempting fate and dangerous to me to be honest like the pga does not need money from gate receipts and what they definitely don't need is a press like storm over people in particular their their top athletes getting something like this i can't understand it it just it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense because the product is actually better than it was effectively before it's easier to see players up close i don't know just, I mean, that's the PGA Tour is very much 
a members organization we yeah. in everything they do you see it it's all about the players mm. if 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 a brooks kepkin or Roy mcelroy go to the pga tour and say they're uncomfortable with there being fans at the memorial i think very quickly there won't be any fans at the memorial and we're getting closer i think to if we do see a couple more positives in the next couple of weeks where that might be probably the only course of action i just had this image of jack nicholas who is not the youngest of men being surrounded by thousands of people who could be potentially killing him. That just doesn't yeah. strike me as, as a good image. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's a little bit of a cultural thing as well. You look at how the countries have handled it. Obviously, America, we could argue, has perhaps taken a somewhat more laissez-faire attitude to the handling of the pandemic than the UK and Ireland has. Um, not that we've necessarily been... Uh, at least over here, bastions of the best way to handle it. But it's been at least treated with the appropriate amount of seriousness, even if the steps haven't always been quite spot on. America, it doesn't feel like that message of how serious it is has seeped through to every part of the population there. And I think that's dangerous because then you're always hostage to what the the less sensible elements of society are going to do. If a hundred people, if there's a hundred people, ninety-nine people all adhere to it and don't have coronavirus, and one person does, and they're being an idiot and going out everywhere, then you've got a big problem. Even though ninety-nine percent of people have been doing what they should, and again, that why would you let that element in? If you're on PGA Tour, you're going right. We're controlling all we can control with the players and everything. Why would we let this massive unknown in? when there is so much infection still in the States, why would we go, yeah, 30, 40,000 people this week? You come in and interact with people. I just don't see how that's a good business decision, let alone a health decision. And it should be a health decision. But with the PJ Tour, it might also be a business decision. And do you think that's influenced? Because he's Tommy Fleetwood has been exposed to what's been happening in the UK. Do you think it makes Rory's comments short-sighted? And is Tommy Fleetwood right not to be going over there to, yeah. um, to play. I mean, first and foremost, I love Rory's honesty. I mean, you guys will know as much as me, <laughs> there's nothing worse than interviewing someone and you know what they're going to say because they're going to go through the motions. You just want someone who's honest and candid. And Rory is that at all times. And he's to an incredibly fault. intelligent, yeah. switched on guy. Um, <laughs> but on this one, I think he's probably missed the mark a little bit, especially as someone who didn't play in the Olympics in Rio, quite understandably citing concerns over the Zika virus and his impending <laughs> wanting to start a family. <laughs> Whatever you know, that was. And then it would seem somewhat hypocritical on the face of it for him now to come out and say what he said. Now, I think he was just giving a, an honest answer that first came to his head in the moment. Probably after the fact, he might regret it a little, because I think Tommy Fleetwood is absolutely right and within his rights to not go over there. You know, he's got a young family. He doesn't want to have to deal with just the logistics of the quarantine anyway. And then, you know, you take into to account the chances of catching it, bringing it back, giving it to your family, giving it to your parents who might be far more vulnerable. Because it's not just about you getting it, obviously. If you're a professional golfer, the chances are you're in an age range and you're fit enough where it might not affect you. But I couldn't think of anything worse than giving something like that to my family or to my parents. Or So I think Fleetwood is absolutely right. And I think Rory was probably there just 
a little too candid for his own good, perhaps. And he may have been on the phone to Tommy since to clear the air and Lee Westwood maybe just to clarify his comments, perhaps. I think Rory was also incredibly unlucky that like he was that close to Nick Watney on the putting green and did, and did have a comment. Like the fact that there was only one degree of separation, suddenly you could turn around to Rory and go, I bet you don't feel that way. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think if that had been 24, 48 hours difference in when that question was asked, I think we'd have had yeah. two very different answers. In all but it, it's, it's classic Rory. It's like, say something to Frank and a week later there's going to be a climb down so like we've had it about St Andrews we've had it about this like I'm just waiting for him to say yeah my, my comments were probably not in the best yeah. interest of everyone wait, wait, wait till I'm Wednesday. very sorry yeah wait, Wednesday yeah it'll probably be there Wednesday in his next press conference before, before next week but I, I'd take that over someone that never says yeah. much yeah, all day long like he, he's not going to get it 100% right all of the time but at least he, he's not afraid to have an opinion and I think that's commendable. Neither is Sergio. <laughs> His opinion was <laughs> just, Nick Watney's really nice. I don't think he should have got it. There are other guys who are a bit more of an asshole who deserve it. Yeah. I mean, it's good to have an opinion. It helps when your opinion is more right than wrong. I think it, when you're, in terms of how you're perceived and whether people go, oh, yeah, I'm glad you spoke out there. I think what your opinion is holds a bearing on whether it's good to put it out there. I mean... And it was said in jest, and it just was a little bit silly and naive. I, I don't think there's a great deal in it. In all honesty, like we we would all we all know that if in your workplace, which is what that is, or in your group, there's always someone that you don't get on with as well. And it was probably the type of thing that any of us would say to our mates, probably, or he would say in the locker room, and it'd get a giggle, and you'd move on, and no one would care. It's a, a joke in part. Saying it to a reporter, probably not. I think it's possibly not the smartest thing, but no, I think if like someone like Matthew Fitzpatrick came out and said that and said it would be far more of a, a serious, it would be, be taken more seriously. But I think because Siri just said it and Siri just kind of got a, a reputation for being a bit childish, but also with that, you kind of come with ah, look at Sergio, he's just Except, yeah, he's just being Sergio. I mean, he should really have just gone all in and named names. <laughs> you know what? Here's my, and here's a list. Here's my list. Out of his in order, these are the people I would like to get coronavirus on the PGA Tour with like a full ranking. I think then he would have carried it on, carried it through and nailed it. Yeah. Top if you're going to go halfway, go the whole hog. Yeah. Name and shame. Yeah. 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 Top of this would be Poor Account. Like, give me that captaincy <laughs> yeah. and, the, and the open win whilst you're at it. He'd probably be on a few lists himself. I think he'd be on quite a lot, to be fair. <laughs> the greenest keeper in Saudi Arabia. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Green um, keepers on most courses you've been to. Yeah, yeah. But overall, I thought it was a great week. I thought like mm. the viewing experience, the product itself as a TV product was great. The winner was, was, was great. I was really happy yeah. that, that Webb won. Um, just almost because of the week that there was so much Bryson mania to have one of the shorter hitters, yeah. like he still hits at like 280, 290, like uh, to have him win it um, and have those kind of guys at the top of the leaderboard from the outset was great. Um, but I thought it's overall, I was very happy with it. And it's made yeah. me excited for next week. No, absolutely. I mean, the next week, top six in the world playing again, another stacked field. Um, 
Obviously, the sight of Jordan Spieth's incredible cold bunker shot to win the playoff, which was probably one of the most iconic moments of the last 10 years on the PGA Tour for me. I thought that was incredible. But you're right to mention, actually, like the viewer experience, because I'm really enjoying watching it. And I think I was watching it with my girlfriend, who kind of enjoys golf and is into all sports, but obviously doesn't watch it as much as I do. And even she sort of noticed and commented on, you know, the graphics that we use to show where tee shots are going, the shot trait, top tracer that shows it. You know, she said when we were watching last week, actually, it must have been a lot more difficult and not as good to watch before that was there. And then you were thinking, actually, yeah, it was. Like, that, what did we, before top tracer, what, how did we know? You just, you was like, oh yeah, he swung and then camera on the green. Now you can see the flight height, you can compare the trajectory, the shapes. But I don't think you'd appreciate the different way in which Webb Simpson goes about things to Bryson DeChambeau without Top Tracer and without the graphics on the right-hand side of the screen showing you exactly the flight of it and where it's coming down. And it has massively enhanced the viewing experience. Um, and there's still some way to go. I know commentary doesn't always get um, the best rap when you, if you're scrolling through Twitter anyway. Not that anyone likes to moan about anything on Twitter, obviously. But... Um, <laughs> There, there is elements that could be improved, but I think the viewer experience and watching golf on television has absolutely come on leaps and bounds in the last few years. And I really think it enhances it. And for me, as a very serious golf fan, it really helps me to understand how guys are playing, to see what's going on and, and feel more immersed in the tournament, essentially. Yeah, definitely. I think the viewer experience is very important now because it's the only experience. <laughs> yeah. I still like the PGA Tour's argument can't can no longer be yeah, but everyone on the ground had a great time because no yeah. one's on the ground. So exactly. But I mean, I, they didn't change anything massively. They just kind of shut up a bit more. Yeah, no. I mean, I, well, I don't think it's massively changed from pre-lockdown to post-lockdown. It, it was a, an evolution that was already happening, and the technology was in place before lockdown. To be fair, I just I think it, it kind of you, you focus on it a bit more, I guess, because there's not as much else going on. Like you say, there's maybe a little bit less chat from the commentators because you want to hear what the players are saying because you can with the boom mics now. Getting players mic'd up, I think, is is a great idea. Mid-round interviews I'm always a big fan of. We started doing that on the Euro Pro Tour um, probably two or three years ago now and the European Tour and the PGA Tour are following suit. Um, there's no reason why you can't chat to a golfer while he's walking down a fairway or walking up to a green to get an extra level of insight. It doesn't, interfere too much with what they're doing obviously you pick the right time don't chat to them just after a double bogey make sure they got a smile on the face and check it's okay with them but that's possible in golf that isn't in other sports so why not take advantage of that yeah how is the how, when is the euro pro back is that going 2021 that that's that's finished because obviously till hatton like euro pro graduate yeah he was, he was right in the mix well, absolutely, yeah. Great to see Tyrrell kicking on the uh, 2009 Rookie of the Year on the Euro Pro Tour. Um, Tommy Fleetwood has won on the Euro Pro as well, having mentioned him. So, um, a really good breeding ground for pros. Unfortunately, it, it's been kind of ravaged by what's happened with the pandemic um, this year. So, we're, we're not going to be having a 2020 schedule, unfortunately. Everything's just been sort of moved back a year, which is obviously a massive shame. But just the logistics of holding three-day tournaments... Uh, where you need hotels, restaurants, you need that freedom of movement for everyone, you need travel, there would need to be a queue school before the season starts. It just unfortunately wasn't possible. 
on what not possible safely. Um, I'm really happy to see that there are mini tour single round events back underway in the UK at the moment. Um, in Ireland, hopefully as well, because um, that it gives guys <laughs> it gives guys somewhere to play, which they need. But there is a big difference between putting on a single day, single round tournament and a three round event that also will have a pro-am and, and all of the logistics that go along with that. Plus, you know, having the PGA staff there, the, the camera crew, production crew, it's just a very different beast. And unfortunately, that's kind of cost us the 2020 season, really. Yeah, it's a pity because, mm. like I said, Europe has a great, great breeding ground. We're, you're seeing those guys coming through onto European tour and the, and the PGA as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When, yeah. when, we have a couple of really good trips to Ireland on the schedule this year as well. Clandy Boy uh, up in the north and Tol Farris again was on the mm -hmm. schedule. So I'm going to have to get my Guinness elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. We'll, 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 we can come to you. We, we can come to you. Please. <laughs> come, bring the Guinness. Yeah. I need well, it. We're, we're opening up over here, 29th. We're, one week away, we're, we're back to pretty much you can go anywhere in the country. So things are, things are looking up. So. You'll be you come, come in through the north, and you're going to yeah, in, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. true. That's there are true, massive yeah. loopholes. <laughs> the last, the last question, just on the on the uh, PGA tour, well, world tour, I suppose. Um, we're only seven and a half weeks away from the first major, so it's going to roll in pretty quickly. From what you've seen thus far, um, put your neck on the line for somebody. <laughs> Eight rounds in. Put your, put eight eight rounds in. Who, who, who do you think now at this stage uh, is, is it too early? Yeah, well, it, it's not that far away. Some guys would have only played about three times. Yeah, I mean, I Brooks Koepka is going to be dangerous. Amazing to think he'd gone 10 months without a top 10 before Hilton Head. Obviously, there have been certain extenuating factors within that, his injury and stuff. But, I mean, that's incredible. But the way he finished off, the way his game's looking... We all know he's all about the majors. He's going to be there or thereabouts. And a guy that I picked, uh, actually, when I did this, this Sky Sports Golf podcast, right at the start of the year, first week of the year, we did all of our predictions for, for who we thought would win various majors. I like Xander Schauffele. I think he's just a really, really good all-round player. There's no weakness. Mentally, he's superb. He's proven he can win when he's given the opportunity and against very strong fields. Um, and I think he's got a game that, that translates to any golf course, which means he's going to get chances. Um, so I would keep an eye on, on Xander in, in all three of the majors we're seeing this year. Once he kind of mentally gets over that lip out. Well, yeah, exactly. That was harsh. That was harsh. harsh. That was, harsh. That was harsh. harsh. He might have been made to feel a little bit better by the lip out on the same hole in the playoff half an hour later. He might have gone, oh, well, maybe it was the hole. It was where it was, it was cut. It was, it was cut it on was a funny. Yeah, it was cut funny. It was on a little. Um, but interestingly, I mean, that's a fair point. That can damage people. And I, I don't think that I may be proven wrong by future events. I don't think Xander is the type of guy that that would affect too much. I think he's very well balanced. Much like Rory, I think he takes that holistic, bigger picture view of things doesn't get too hung up on individual little elements. You know, you're going to miss the odd short putt. It just happened to be at the worst time. And aside from that, he played fantastic golf last week. Um, not quite so good at Hilton Head, but, you know, I think in general, he's got a game for the majors. His record in his short career to this point 
supports that. And I think he's only going to get stronger and become more of a threat. Yeah, he's, he strikes me as someone who's very laid back. I say yeah. when he's not on the golf course, if he's any more laid back, he'd be lying down. He's horizontal. He's chill. calm. He's yeah. very calm. I mean, you talk to him and it's like everything's under control. And he's very just happy with how he does things. He doesn't look around at other people and feel the need he has to chase something or do something different. He's comfortable with how he's progressing and how he's doing it. I interviewed him about 12 months ago. And one of the really interesting things was he's obviously sort of of a similar age to Thomas and Spieth and Berger and these guys that we've mentioned who have already kicked on. And he said, you know what, throughout high school, the amateur days into college, even though he was about the same age, he was always a couple of years behind them in terms of his golfing development and his golfing standard. And it bore out as he progressed through. It always took him a year, two years longer to get to each milestone than these other guys. And he never let that phase him. His father's his coach as well. They never let that throw them off track. They just trusted in the process. Um, And I think they've built a very, very good all-round game. As importantly, a very, very solid mind. Um, that I don't think will be affected by that short miss and that I think will stand up to massive pressure in the future. Okay, so Xander Schaffer is your... It's going to win a major yeah, this year. Chuck in on Xander. Chuck in on Xander. Very good. Yeah, perfect. Listen, Kit, thank you so much for, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thanks for giving us a breakdown and giving us that insight. <laughs> Hope I didn't waffle on too much. I've got like four months of golf chat to get out of me and it's like... Well, look, if you want to come on every week. Yeah, we'll just have you here. Just oh, no, reach out if ever you need someone. Like, uh, if, uh, if you can't get hold of Dylan Fratelli or anything in the future. <laughs> All right. Johnny's his sight set pretty high. Very high. Well, that's the best way. If you don't ask, you, you don't get. And often when you do ask, people will go, yeah, all right. And uh, you get good people. I mean, the guests you've been getting so far, I think, have been really interesting, really good. Like, a nice variety across kind of the golfing spectrum, some cool stories. So, yeah, good work. Right. That, that has been our plan is just yeah. <laughs> see, who, <laughs> see who catches it. Exactly. Well, fair play, fair play. And uh, I will hopefully get over to Ireland some point this year, even without the Euro Pro Tour. That's it. We'll uh, get around in as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely. Not for money, though. Not for money. I'm not. We'll do a team event. Do a team event. Yeah, actually, yeah. Team event. Team. Right. Do we get to be on the same team? I feel like <laughs> we're on the same team. We'll be all right. Yeah, we tear it up. <laughs> okay, thanks very much. Nice. Thanks, Take it easy, guys. Pleasure. On the tee, Jack Nicholas. This is the minute the millions around the world have waited for. We will allow you to enjoy all of this. They are dancing in the pubs of Dublin. Harrington with an ace. And we have a shining star at sunset. Rory continues his run to greatness. The return to glory.